Uh, we're continuing our series on being salt and being light and talking about uh, the difference that we can make in the lives of others and doing this in the, within the context of Christmas. And so, because uh, I wasn't here last week, let me just, just kind of bring us up to speed on what we're talking about. And we're, uh, the series that we're in is being salt and being light and making a difference in the life of those around us. And, and, and one of the things we're, we're going to talk about this morning is do we actually have the time in our lives to be salt and light to the very people that God's placed us among. Because think about this. I wonder if God really knows what he's doing by placing each one of us in different spots and in different places. Now, the assumption is here that God does know what he's doing, that God has everything strategically planned, and he's placed you very strategically exactly where you are for the very reason that you can be salt and light and that you can make a difference. Uh, one of the key verses that we've been talking about the last few weeks is the great commandment that Jesus gave us. The context of this is within the story of the Good Samaritan, and he... he the Good Samaritan story about an attorney who comes to Jesus. He's actually trying to trap Jesus to say, what do I have to do? How do I earn the inheritance of eternal life? And, and we know that you don't do anything to get an inheritance, do you? An inheritance is a gift. And so eternal life is a gift that we receive from Jesus. So he had it all backwards. But Jesus does give him this as instruction. If you were able to do it, it would be this great command that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That that encapsulates all of the old, encapsulates, there we go, that's the word. When you're speaking, there's like all these words in the air and you're trying to just grab them. And sometimes they're elusive. But it encapsulates, it, it contains the, uh, the concepts in the Old Testament of, of the law and the prophets. They're summed up in loving the Lord and loving those around us. And so we can get, you know, we're a church that focuses on missions. We give lots of money to missions. Um, we support missions endeavors around the world. But how, how mistaken would we be to want to make a difference all over the world, but yet not reach those that God has placed right next to us. Well, could we, would we not, we don't want to be that that would step around those God's placed right there to reach others. It's not either or, friends, it's both. It's both, that we would love the Lord and we would love our neighbors. And so how do you, how do you love your neighbors? Right? How do you do this? This is what we're talking about, actually loving our literal neighbors that God has placed around us, that he has placed us in their neighborhood. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I told a story about one of our dogs named Buddy that, that took off, and I had to go find him, and I met a neighbor, Dan, when I was, that I'd never met before looking for Buddy. Well, this week, it was a different dog and a different neighbor. Uh, this time, the dog was our daughter's dog, Maddie. I'm looking forward to having grandkids, but granddogs, not so much, if you know what I'm saying. So, but it's her dog, so we love her. So she gets to keep the dog with her while she's here. So until she, her husband comes back from the Middle East and, and they get to go back to San Diego. So anyway, her, her, her mutt, her dog, this pain in the rear end named Cooper takes off and, and he's a puppy. And so I corral him in the neighbor's yard, you know, and I get him and, and I'm grabbing him. And, and there's another neighbor who's right next door. Um, as the chart we'll look at later. Um, you, if you reference it from a couple weeks ago, the eight, we're talking about the eight people that live around you. Well, he was, he was just one outside of that. And, 
And I had a couple of thoughts going on in my mind. The first one was the, the thought that, you know, here's a great opportunity to meet this neighbor just like the other one. That He's right here. I've never met him before. I don't see him out in his yard very often. It was a perfect opportunity just to introduce myself and get to know him. And then the second thought I have was, well, he's not one of the eight, so I don't really have to. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? Terrible. Terrible. And I was busy, right? I mean, I had, I had somewhere important to go. I don't remember where it is now, but it was important, right? It was, I had to be somewhere. And so I just kind of waved, and, you know, he kind of waved and went on about, went on about my day, kind of feeling bad about it, but justifying my actions. And Thursday on my way home from work, as I turn around the corner on the street we live, there is an ambulance in his yard. And I, so I just stop. And because it's blocking the road, the, there's a fire truck and ambulance, and, and they, they take him out on a, on a gurney and put him in the ambulance. And I'm thinking, OJ, OJ. Like, this isn't a game we're playing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is real life. This is life and death. And, and I know just from what I've experienced in my family in the last hundred days, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are. And that we have to make the most of every opportunity, to make the most of every day. And the fact of being salt and light in the neighborhood and around the people that God has placed us around is so important. You know, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the question was, who is my neighbor? Right? That's what even I was thinking is, well, is he re- do I really need to, what about that one, right? And Jesus turned it on the attorney. He said, it's not really who is my neighbor, it's whose neighbor am I? Who am I? What kind of neighbor am I? And that's the question. But, but one of the issues is, is do, we, do we have time? Do we have time? Well, let, let's look. We're going to look at a couple very classic Christmas texts these, this morning as we, that just fit in perfectly with what we're talking about. First one is John chapter 1, verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, it says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That Jesus literally, 100% God, 100% man, came and dwelt among men. He moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out from start to finish. That Jesus moved into the neighborhood. That he restricted himself, limited himself to human attributes, and flowed in the power of the Holy Spirit and moved into the neighborhood. A real address, a real place, and a real time. Acts 17, 26, 27. I love this passage. It says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has you here for such a time as this? If you believe that, then it changes how you live. If you believe that he's placed you exactly where he's placed you for such a time as this, and it changes how you live in the environment and the culture that you find yourself in. It makes a difference. It changes everything. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. You know, when I think about being salt and light in the very even physical neighborhoods, where God has placed us. I think one of the greatest barriers, one of the greatest difficulties, one of the things we really have to overcome 
is time. It's time. Right? How do we handle our time? How do we manage time? Because if you are like me, you see that chart that we hand out. In fact, if you look in your bulletin, you will see a uh, you'll see that the handout and the bulletin, the sermon notes handout. You'll see on there a map. It looks something like this. And maybe you already started filling yours out that I gave you two weeks ago. Um, we actually have a magnet, refrigerator magnet for you that we ordered that has this on it. And what you'll simply do is put this on your on your um, on your refrigerator, and you'll just write the name of the of who's living in the the eight houses around you. Uh, you'll the, the, you'll start with that, um, and then that starts with just meeting them, getting to be their acquaintance. And then after that, you're going to discover something about them that you can't recognize or can't see from the driveway. So you have to actually get to know them a little bit. You'll write that down. Then the third thing you'll write as you get to know them is something, something deep, something meaningful in their life. And that is kind of like a grid that will help guide you into, into intentionally building relationships with those closest to you. And so many of you may be here thinking this morning is, where am I going to time to, 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 where am I going to find time to do that? I don't have time for the people in my life right now, right? How am I going to add anything more to it? And so that really is, it really can be a barrier of time. How do we navigate that? How do we manage our time? And you know, there's lots of good apps. There's lots of good tools. There's a lot of good systems for time management for us to get as much done and quickly and efficiently as possible. And I'm a believer in those. I use those. But what I have found in my life to be true and what I've seen just walking through life is that, is that what we prioritize and what we truly value is what we make time for. That we each have time to do the will of God in our life. We have enough time for that. We don't necessarily have enough time that's not what God has intended for us, but we do have enough time for what God has intended for us, and we will make time for what we value. Is that not true? That if we really value something, if something really means something, we will make time for it. That a lack of time on us, if we're really just brutally honest, it's really not an excuse, but it can be a barrier that we really do need to overcome. And one of the things we see about the Lord, even in the, even in the story of Christmas, is that God himself limited himself in time. That even in creation, that he limited himself, stepped into a seven-day creation. That one of the powerful stories of Emmanuel, God with us, that this God who is above time, outside of time, created time for us so that we could exist and manage eternity, and then limited himself and stepped into time so that he could be our neighbor, so he could walk among us, so he could be in us. And so if the Lord has restricted his own self to time, we ourselves have to, how do we navigate time? How do we manage time? It's a big deal. Another Christmas text that has to do with time is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. It says this, but when the fullness of the time had come, some translations say, at just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoptions as his son. Adoption as his son. When the fullness of time had come, when just the right time had come. Jesus was always just the right time with his father. He only said what he heard the father say. He only did what he saw the father do. 
Jesus was in perfect time with his Father. Guys, I want that for you and for myself. I want us to be people who are just in time with the Lord, that we're walking with him, that we're speaking on his behalf, that we are, we are walking at just the right time. It's a prophetic sense of what this uh, scripture is saying in Galatians chapter 4. It's, it's saying that, that in all of time, that Jesus came, didn't, he didn't just come at a random time. He didn't just come on a whim, but it was at the very perfect moment, the fullness of time. What this means is that the fullness of time meant at that time there was worldwide citizenship. That Rome had basically conquered all the known world. And so there was a worldwide citizenship. There's one world government, basically. There was one system throughout the whole world which made the coming of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, right? Because we talked about the good news isn't just a, a what, but it's a who. It's Jesus. And so Jesus and the message that, that his disciples would take around the world It was just the right time because of worldwide citizenship. It was just the right time because of worldwide language. Because of the influence of Alexander the Great, the Greek influence, Koine Greek was spoken throughout the known world. Um, Literacy was at an all-time high. Uh, People could read, people could write uh, Koine Greek. And so uh, the the Bible was, the, 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 the letters of the New Testament, the Gospels were written in that. And that the language and the culture it was consistent throughout the world that it, this Hellenistic culture where, where people could speak and could write and could communicate, it's mind-blowing how efficient it would have been in that time and, and place. Worldwide transportation at just the fullness of time, at just the right time because there was worldwide transportation. Have you ever heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome? Have you heard that? That's, 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 it was a reality that there were, there were place markers um, you know how, like at Silver Dollar City, right? There's place markers. It says for different, you know, different towns, different haulers, right? Well, in, in different cities around the world, there would have been uh, markers for how far they were to Rome. And, and all roads truly around the world led to Rome. There was worldwide trade routes that, that made the carrying of the gospel, the diaspora of the, of, of the, the New Testament church around the world, made it just that much quicker and efficient. There was worldwide peace. Maybe you've heard the, the term Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Now, it was a, a military-enforced peace, but yet there was a peace on the world, even though it was a world peace, a false peace. There was a peace in such a way that the gospel was able to go forth. There was worldwide moral decline. Uh, from the worship of the emperor to all the, the various Greek gods and Roman gods, Moral decadence was at an all-time high. There was also worldwide expectancy. That even though those in Bethlehem missed it, the Magi from the east saw it. And they responded. That Simeon, oh, read, read Luke 2 this week. Oh, it's just an amazing part of the Christmas story. of Simeon who had the promise that he would see the Messiah of Israel. He would see that before he died. Anna, a prophetess who, who prayed and who fasted and who, who lived near the presence of God, that she was able to behold the promise of Israel. There was worldwide. Jesus came at just the right time, the fullness of time. There was expectancy. People were fed up with life as they knew it, and they were looking for something different. 
Many would say that these same markers will indicate the second coming of Christ, of when he'll come again. But Jesus came at the fullness of time. You know, one of the interesting things about Jesus, have you ever thought about this? Jesus wasn't rushed. Have you ever read a passage in the Bible where Jesus was too busy for somebody, right? He said, hey, I'll email me, I'll get back to you, right? You, you just don't see that in the Bible. Well, regardless of the fact they didn't have email, you still don't see that in the, in the Bible, do you? In fact, in fact when, when they brought the children to him, he didn't push them away. Everybody, all the disciples were like, hey, we're too busy for the kids. Just, just keep them over there. He's like, no, no, no. He stopped everything. And he said, these kids are really what this is all about. The faith like these children is what the kingdom is built. That's how you get access to the Lord is just simple faith. Like a child, simple trust. We never see Jesus too busy. We never see Jesus hurry. We do see Jesus intentional. We do see Jesus withdrawing to spend time with the Father. We do see Jesus saying, the time is not yet for that. He understood time. He understood it. And he operated within it. That he lived according to kingdom principles and relationship with his Father. And I think, I know, that where we even find ourselves in the, year, in the calendar year of the craziness of Christmas, that this is even more true. It's even more true in our life that, that a time where it's supposed to be focused on Jesus and on the coming of our Messiah and our Savior gets drowned out with the noise of the culture around us, and it takes intentionality and effort to move beyond cultural interaction of Christmas to the spiritual experiencing of Christmas. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it takes intentionality in that. And are we living at a pace that allows us to be available to those around us? I mean, really ask yourself, that: is the pace of your life such that you're available to those around you? You know, one of the things that I've been, I've been saying to myself lately is I've been saying, Jay, do less and be more. Do less and be more. I mean, we, we've basically established productivity as a sign of success. I'm not sure that's always a biblical standard. Now, I know we have jobs. I know we, we need to be efficient. We need to get a lot done. We want to be successful. I understand that. But sometimes we need to do less and be more. Or just be more. You know, I think back to about 15 years ago. And if I, could, if I could go back 15 years, and if I could tell Jay, hey, Jay, in 15 years, you're going to be able to talk on the phone anywhere. Driving down the car, or drive, driving down the road in the car, just anywhere, you're going to be able to talk on a phone. You're going to have it with you all the time. But I said, Jay, you're going to be able to send electronic mail while you're driving your car, while you're talking on the phone in your car. You're not even going to have to go to some meetings because you'll just be able to open up a computer screen and be able to talk and see and interact, just like Star Wars. You're going to be able to interact with people in a different, time, in a different space, different part of the world, real time. I'd have been like, wow, you're going to be able, Jay, to watch your favorite TV shows, be able to record them and watch them whenever you want, and never have to watch commercials again. 
Right? If Jay 15 years ago could have said that, I would have thought, what will I do with all of my time? I'm going to have all this extra time. I'm going to have, oh, it's going to be awesome. Maybe I'll be able to work three, three days a week. Right? How many of you guys feel like we have more time because of technology? No, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? We actually feel like we have less time, don't we? Because it's real interesting. When you're able to do a task faster, typically you don't do it less. You just do it more because you can do it faster. And there's an accessibility that we have now that, that, that may keep us engaged and keep us busy, but our souls can become very, very dry. Did you know one, one issue right now that's a real issue among kids? Your parents, grandparents don't know what I'm talking about. A real issue among kids is that, is that they're not having the opportunity to be bored. Kids don't, they don't get to be bored anymore because there's, continually, there's just continual stimulation. But it's in moments of boredom that you, you're creative. It's in moments of boredom that you have to deal with the pain and the hurt and the struggle in your life. It's in moments of, bo- of, of boredom that you're, you're able to seek something of higher value than just being entertained or seeking pleasure. And we thought everything was just going to give us more time. I actually think technology has hurt our relationships. They're really, really wide, but they're really, really shallow. We feel connected, but we Truly aren't. In fact, one digital advisor said that within 20 years, most people have more significant relationship with software than they will with actual people. I believe them. I believe them. I mean, now we have what? Amazon Echo, Google Home. I mean, the software is even in our home that we're interacting with now. I mean, we're in a world that's changing. And so, how do we respond to How do we. Uh, like we're not gonna, we're not gonna get away with tech, away from technology. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, how do we harness? How do we make choices? How do we create our value system that we can be salt and we can be light? That we can, we can, we can live a life where we're available to those around us. Have you ever been in a restaurant? Have you ever been at a table where you just like you do this in a restaurant? You look around. Every single person will be on a phone. And nobody's interacting. Nobody's interacting. We, we've had that own issue in our house. So you know what our, our family does? One of our boys came, came up with this. We each put our phone on the table. We're at a restaurant, and the one that grabs theirs first pays for dinner. <laughs> hey, it works. Just, just try it sometime. We've had some kids buy dinner before. Usually I buy dinner because I pick my phone up first. But, but that's um, it's an interesting example. You know, I'm... I'm pretty good about lying to myself. I'll be honest. Are you guys, you guys good at lying to yourself? I am. I tell myself lies. Here's one of the lies I tell myself. Someday it's going to get better. You ever told yourself that lie? Someday I'm going to have more time. Someday things are going to settle down. You ever, anybody else ever tell that lie? I'm the only one, huh? Yeah. Someday. When is that someday? I'm still waiting for it, right? When's someday going to get here? 
Right? Maybe, oh, once Christmas is over, things will settle down. Once finals are over, things will settle down. Once I get through this project at work, things will settle down. Oh, once this baby's born, things will settle down. Once my kids are at this stage, things will settle down. Once my health gets to this point, uh, things will settle down. Things don't settle down, do they, ever? Because there's always something next. So it, it boils down to what we value and prioritize with our time. That's one lie we tell ourselves. Another lie we tell ourselves is that more will be enough. Just a little bit more. If I work just a little bit harder, if I make just a little bit more money, just a little bit more will be enough. Whatever that purchase will be, that purchase will make me just a little bit more fulfilled, a little bit happier than I am now. That's a lie. Just if I can save this amount of money, then I'll feel like I'm financially secure. That just a little bit more, just a little bit more, more. When do do you ever have enough? When is it ever enough? When is there more, more, more? It doesn't exist. How about this lie? Well, everybody lives this way. You ever told yourself that? I tell myself, I've told myself that a lot. Even as a pastor, you know, all pastors live a life this way. You know, those are lies. We don't have to wait for someday. We can be content with what we have now. And we don't have to choose to live like the culture around us. We don't, have to cho- we don't have to observe Christmas like the culture around us. We don't have to enter into the craziness that is all around us. We can choose to live a life that is different. We can do that. We have the power of choice to do that. That we can live our lives in such a way that we're available to those around us. We make time for those around us. We're going to watch about a four and a half minute video a documentary about a lady in Austin, Texas, who really took seriously the idea of being salt and light in her neighborhood, of just simply being available in her neighborhood, just asking the Lord, Lord, what can I do? And she came up with a very, very creative approach. And, and I want you guys to see this because I, I think it's really powerful. I always thought I'd go far away on mission. I really did. I really thought my calling would be international. And I never, never in a million years thought that the Lord would ask me to walk outside of my door in the mission field where I live and get to know my neighbors. I'm Kristen Shell, and I live in Austin, Texas. I am a wife and a mother of four children. Any given day, I am in the kitchen or in the minivan. I am active in the kids' school. I'm a writer, and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, Um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard, 
and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was going to have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard and it was going to be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color. And I did. I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. I have this table. It's bright turquoise. It's sitting in the front yard. And now I'm like, well, now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer. And I even um, I had some art stuff that I was working on because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord. Your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed. And I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. I'm Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. (laughs) So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. The Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. And that, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. It's great to see you here. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door, we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. Isn't that a creative way of just opening up your life to those around you? Some of you may live in rural environments and you're thinking, oh, I don't have neighbors right around me. It's the concept. It's the idea that you're living intentional, whether it's homes around you, whether it's cubicles, whether it's apartment complexes, whether it's desks, whatever it might be, that you're salt and light and you, you live in such a way that you can engage and do life with those around you. You know, we've been studying the story of the Good Samaritan And do you know the story that follows the Good Samaritan? Do you know the story that comes right after the Good Samaritan? Is a story that tells us how to live this way. A story that tells us how to live differently. It's Luke chapter 10. We have it on the screen. Verse 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted. Can you say the word distracted? Distracted. She was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. 
And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, 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 you are worried and troubled about many, many things. But one thing is needed. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha was distracted. She was distracted with good things that kept her from the best thing, which was simply being in the presence of Jesus. And what Mary did, and I didn't really grasp this aspect of it. I've studied this story so many times, I've read it. But in further research, as I prepared for this morning, I I, I realized through reading that what Mary was doing was actually countercultural. That, uh, ladies, forgive me, okay? I'm, I'm quoting what would have been in their day. But in their day, the cultural appropriate thing for the woman to do would be to be in the kitchen, Be in the kitchen serving, right? Be in the kitchen, yeah. I didn't say it, it's in the, I'm not, and and, and I'm just saying, right? So the cultural thing of that day was women are in the kitchen that, but Mary, Mary chose to live a life that was counterculture. Instead of being busy in the kitchen, she was sitting at the feet of Jesus where, where women would not have been. But she broke culture to live a life that God called her to live. Friends, the life that God calls us to live will not always match the culture around us. The way we celebrate Christmas will not always match the culture around us. If we choose to slow our life down so we can be present with God and present with those around us, it'll be counterculture. But I believe we will have chosen the very, very best thing, that we'll have given up what, some good things for what is very best, because she was distracted. So how do we do this? As we wrap up this morning, how do, we, how do we live this out? How do we make it happen? Well, one of the ways is we need to practice the art of elimination. The art of elimination, you know what it is, right? As you work on your budget, one of the questions you ask is, what can we eliminate? What can we get rid of? And that's one of the things we need to do with our life regularly is what what am I doing that's good, but it's not the best thing? What does the Lord has for me in this season? You know, when when Michelangelo was creating the the sculpture of David, we have a a picture of it up here. Somebody asked him, um, how did he do this? And he simply said, I eliminated, I took away, I chipped away everything that wasn't a masterpiece. God wants our lives to be that masterpiece. And we simply have to Just eliminate that which God is not in, what he is not doing, what he is not calling us into. And I believe he's calling us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and to love those around us as ourselves. We practice our elimination, that we wouldn't be so distracted. And so one of the homework assignments I have for you is for you to list, what are your three biggest time suckers? Like, what are three things that you, that you say just really suck your time? It'll be different for different people. What takes your emotion, your energy, maybe your money? It might be good, but, but how could it be even better? You know, for me, and I know that it's different for different people, one thing for me that I realized was just sucking time for me was Facebook. I'm a very social person. I like to interact with people. And so it was a real distraction to me. And, and so what I did is I simply deleted the app from my phone. Now, I still like to interact with people. I can use it to communicate. And so I can go online and do it. But I simply t- I took it off my phone. Do you, do you know how to do that? You just hold on the icon long enough. 
it gets fuzzy. You hit the X, and it says delete all data, and you say yes, and you have more time in your life. Just I don't know what it is for you. Maybe the Lord's telling you to stop watching so many Christmas Hallmark movies, Heather. I'm not, I'm not sure what it. I'm not sure what it is for you. I'm just saying, you know, you know, different different people, you know, have have different things. <laughs> but what is it? What is it? You'd say even this week, you'd say the Lord wants me to to give that up to be with Him and to be those around me. You know, one of the one of the one of the aspects of the Christmas story that always grasps me, this gets my heart, is the story of the innkeeper that just didn't have room for Jesus. He just didn't have room for Jesus. Kip and Heather, if you guys want to come. He just didn't have room for Jesus. Could you imagine if you were that person that all through history, you'd be the one that didn't have room for Jesus? I don't want to be that. I want, I want to make room in my life for Jesus and for him. You know, it was on July 2nd, uh, 2016. Uh, it was a cold. It was a cooler evening. Even in even in Missouri in July, it was a cooler evening. And and I I, I had been working in the yard because it was a cool evening. And in fact, I had built a fire in our fire pit in the backyard. Uh, the family was hanging out with. So I was working in my front yard. My neighbor next door to me, he was working in his yard. We'd been talking back and forth. We'd only lived there about six months at the time, six seven months. We were kind of getting to know the neighbors and gotten to know them a little bit. And, and I, felt like, I felt like the Lord wanted me to invite him over to our house to hang out in the backyard to sit around the fire. Now, it's 9.30 on a Saturday night. And 9.30 on a Saturday night, I'm, I'm, about, I'm, hitting, I'm hitting the sack. I'm, getting, I'm going to bed because i got a big day the next day. And, and that particular night, I wasn't finished with my sermon. And so I know in the back of my mind, I need to finish this. I need to get ready. But I've sensed I need to invite him over to hang out in the backyard. And so, hoping he would decline, I'm, being, I'm just being honest, hoping he would decline, I invited him over. And I said, hey, you, we got a fire going in the backyard. You want to you come out, hang out for a little bit? He's like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And so he comes over and we sit around the fire. And we talk till 1130 11.30, in my mind, I'm thinking, I have all these spiritual things I need to do. I need to be writing this sermon. I need to be getting ready. All these people are counting on me. And the Lord just said, just be. Just be. Just be with him. And so I did, and I was up till 1.32, working on my sermon. And the first service on the next morning, July 3rd, I look over and I see him and his wife right there. And when I give an opportunity to respond to Jesus, he lifts his hand. I don't know if he would have done that if I wouldn't have invited him into my backyard just to be. No agenda, just to be. Friends, at the end of this life, stuff isn't going to matter. Only thing that's going to matter is Jesus and people. Our relationship with Jesus and the relationship with others. That's it. May we be people who live a life that when we get to heaven and the Lord asks us about our neighbor that he strategically placed us next to, we can be looking over at him because he's right there with us in heaven. Lord, we come to you right now. 
And Lord, I, Lord, this sermon's for me, Lord. Help me to apply all of these principles to my life. Lord, I believe there's people all over this place, Lord, that are saying, Lord, me too. Lord, that you're dealing with specific things in our life, Lord, that as we move into 2018, Lord, that we can be properly positioned, Lord, to serve you, to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, we repent of selfishness, Lord. Lord, we repent of self-centeredness, Lord, of having our priorities wrong, of having of just living according to the culture around us, Lord. Lord, we want to live with biblical priorities. Help us to love you and to love others well, Lord. We thank you for the grace to do it, Lord, that it's not in our own strength, Lord, but it's in you that we have that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.